Hi, I'm Minerva Perez, Executive Director of OLA of Eastern Long Island, in partnership with WLIW-FM and the WNET Group. Tonight, we continue our series of special programs drawing attention to the issues of mental health and addiction in our area with a focus on teens, parents, and healthcare providers. This three-part series aims to raise awareness about addiction and mental health to help people find prevention and treatment resources, along with mental health support right here in our community. Funding for this program is provided by the New York State Education Department, WLIWFM, and OLA. We wrap up our three-part series speaking with a healthcare professional who offers insights and guidance on dealing with mental health, addiction, and COVID isolation. But before we begin our conversation, we also want to share that if at any time you or someone you know needs help, you can call the New York Helpline at 988 or you can call 877-8-HOPE-NY or you can text 467-369 or visit the New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports website at oasas.ny.gov. For youth ages 12 to 24, OLA's helpline can be texted in Spanish or English seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. for substance abuse and mental health support. That number is 631-810-9010. A Spanish language transcription of this program is available on WLIW.org radio and OLA of Eastern Long to have this important conversation with Bryony Frage, who is not only a personal friend of mine, but also an inspiration, does a lot of work in the community uh, beyond mental health. Uh, but today we're going to be speaking about adolescent mental and emotional health and um, the work that she does as a provider, as a mental health provider. Uh, so Bryony, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So um, Bryony and I have actually worked uh, early on when there were some concerns that were building and, and uh, kind of bubbling up around mental health access, not just for adolescents, but for families in general, uh, back in 2017, 18. And, we, and with Bryony's help, we put together a survey to help understand where the needs of families were and adolescents in particular. And from that kind of grew out some additional work that we've done. And now we're doing Youth Connect, which is a direct um, offering for adolescents to be able to call in or text in and also the work that our team is doing in school. So we're very much dedicated to this work. And uh, what I'd like to do right now is, is hear a bit more about what you do and how you do it and kind of what brought you to doing this type of work. Well, I, I'm just so glad that this is on the radio and that we're talking about mental health because I think it's, you know, after the pandemic, it's no secret to anyone. I think that our teens especially are struggling. And, um, you know, there's only so many people, I myself in my private practice and the few other therapists out here who work with adolescents can do. So I think having a broader audience on the radio is is really exciting. Um, my name is Bryony Frage. I'm a licensed clinical social worker in East Hampton. I have a practice in East Hampton. Um, I am a psychotherapist. I treat children, adolescents, and adults. Um, so I get it's it's interesting work because I get to speak with the teens themselves, who are often like, "Ah, I can't connect with my parent. They don't get me." And then 
I'll, you know, an hour later be sitting with some parents of teens who are saying, ah, oh, I can't help my kid. I don't know how to connect. Um, so I'm hoping today maybe we can talk about ways to connect with with your struggling teen um, or not struggling. They're just they're tough to connect with. So I have been in private practice for I want to say about seven years, um, and I've been doing um, psychotherapy clinic work for eight years out here. I work part-time at East End Pediatrics, where I see and treat a lot of Spanish-speaking children and families, and then my own private practice. And before then, I was working in the city um, at Mount Sinai, working with really seriously emotionally disturbed children and their families, and, and doing a lot of work trying to keep them out of the emergency rooms. And uh, I love what I do. It's hard to, you know, keep the balance because I'm also a mom, but I'm so passionate about this work and, and I'm so grateful that Ola and that you, especially Minerva, have taken this really, you know, this huge challenge before us and, and are trying to, to help connect more youth with at least a listening ear, which actually does so much more than people realize. Well, thank you. And and the work of Youth Connect, at least from the helpline perspective, is non-clinical. It is a listening ear. And um, the team that we have, I mean, what they're learning so much also about um, how difficult the work is and just, just to be hearing and taking this information in, just, just taking it in and, and kind of sitting with the information and just being able to hear it and not feel that you have to offer um, a solution. And so we, we've done some work with parents where we had a parent... Um, a parent conference and uh, where we're able to bring youth and teens in to actually kind of do some role play work with parents on some of the most basic but constant questions and, and challenges that come up. Like I can't, uh, we had, we had parents write in a little piece of paper. What are some of the challenges that you're having with your teen right now? And they did that anonymously. And then we had the teens along with adults make, making sure that we had sort of appropriate choices there, um, pull out of a hat, these different kinds of topics. And then we had smaller groups set up for parents to, to, to have these teens kind of interact with the adults to kind of share that teens do have some perspective, some very important perspective, and also some solutions to bring to the table. So it's not that there's this tension point of I'm the adult and you're the kid and I have to have all the answers, but sort of the fear that a lot of these parents had that they did not have the answers and they were somehow expected to just know what to do. Mm. And that that kind of conversation and that role playing was good for both the teens and the adults, but some things we focused in on was that, you know, my teen's angry. I don't know what to do about that. My teen's depressed. They, they won't speak to me. I do suspect potentially an eating disorder or self-harm is happening, but I don't, I don't even know how to approach this, this conversation. So those are a few things that came up. I don't know if those are also some trends that, that you see a lot or sometimes, but can you speak to any of those or any of the other ones that, that come to mind for you? Yeah, well, you know, I think that that's wonderful that you had those workshops. I wish we could have those in schools all over the East End, um, because it's so prevalent. I mean, according to a report released earlier this year by the CDC, 42% of U.S. high schoolers experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness in 2021, while 22% seriously considered attempting suicide. So this stuff is real, and um, and they're really, you know, adolescent girls and youth who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender or who are questioning their gender identity are struggling the most, for sure. Um, but boys and teens in every racial and ethnic group also reported worsening symptoms. Mm. So teens are suffering, especially now in this post-pandemic period. 
oftentimes we think like, oh, they're adolescents. They're they just talk to their peers. They they don't need us anymore, or they don't want to they don't want to talk to us anymore. But that's really not what I see. Um, I see that teens value being admired by not only their peers, but also adults, caring teachers, coaches, parents. And yes, there's an increased importance around peers, but it's not one or the other. Um, And for some kids at higher risk for anxiety or depression, they need their parent even more, you know, And, and they may push you away. But number one is having a curious stance with your teen, like really asking questions and showing an interest in whatever they're doing, even if it's the most boring video game you could imagine. If that's the only way that you can connect with your kid, that's where you got to start, you know, and just set a timer and play video game with them for 20 minutes. I can't stand video games myself, but, (laughs) you know, if that's what I have to do, that's where that's where I'm going to start. And then your team will start building some trust in you and, and you can go a little bit deeper. But having curiosity, asking questions and empathy, letting them know that you feel sorry that they're feeling the way that they do. A common mistake, like you mentioned, is adults feeling like they need to fix the problem, like People actually don't like to be fixed, <laughs> you know? Okay. We don't. We yes. want to be heard. Uh-huh. We want to be seen and understood. But don't tell me what I need, you know, that I just need to wake up and go take a run, you know? And and, and oh that God. is a very, free, you know, the number of teens that say, my mom is annoyed that I'm in my bed, and so she just keeps telling me to get up and go do X, Y, and Z. Well, instead, I think that... Finding a way to connect with your kid, saying like, instead of just get out of bed and go take a run, how about, hey, I'm running to Riverhead. I'm going to go do some shopping. Do you want to come with me and maybe we can have lunch after? Having them join you as the adult and also, you know, picking up a shared hobby or, you know, just doing something fun with them and not even talking about their mental health. If they're mm-hmm. if if they're not ready to go there, you got to start smaller. And accentuating the positive. I feel like when so often parents get so frustrated, understandably, that their kid is either acting out or using substances or, you know, staying in bed all day and recognizing that you don't need to validate, obviously, that behavior, but they need to have that feeling validated. So, hey, I'm noticing you're in bed all the time or, you know, it's hard for you to get out of bed or you're spending a lot of time in there. Are you okay? Are you struggling? It seems like you're low. That that's that kind of curious and empathic stance that I think can really open up the conversation. You brought something up and I wanted to touch on it a bit, which is um an area that seems very obvious, but I don't I don't know. We certainly don't see a lot of a space enough for this for youth to um have these conversations or feel that there are adults that are kind of going to have a conversation in a way that is respectful to them as well, but is the intersection of mental health and substance use, abuse. We right now are crafting out, and thank you for the input that you've that you've given, uh, a, a quiz or a little way into the conversations that we have in person when we're in schools, because we do this work with middle and high schoolers. And, um, and one of the, the conversations is about uh, kind of control. Oftentimes, whether it's an adult, but definitely also an adolescent, you could feel as though this coping mechanism that you have, maybe you have some unhealthy coping mechanisms. We all do as adults and as, mm-hmm. as adolescents. But the important point seems to be, when do you feel that you have control over those? Or when don't you have control? And, and sometimes there are questions that can be asked to kind of 
let you know that, wow, I didn't realize I was thinking about this 90% of my time, or I didn't realize I lost three jobs because I was doing X. Or And that doesn't have to be substance. It could be self-harm. It could be other ways that you are doing something that is just out of your control. But it is that thing that you do to help you release or to escape or whatever it might be uh, to deal with the other pain that you might be feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an important area that we're looking into that we're trying to have sort of build up healthy and appropriate conversations with with middle and high school students, uh, both of those age groups. Uh, But I do think that as a parent, sometimes it's difficult because when we are texting with with adolescents on the helpline, they are identifying the challenges that their parents are having. They are identifying that they don't want to bring more challenge to their parents. Also, they're kind of viewing some of the unhealthy coping mechanisms that parents are engaged with. And I'm not, it's not a blame thing, but looking at that and saying, well, how am I supposed to balance that out? Um, what are some, some topics or what are some ways that we can kind of look at these unhealthy coping mechanisms and know that there's not, it's not about judging it and saying, well, just go take a run. I mean, um, there's a balance point there between maybe the healthy ones and the ones mm-hmm. that are unhealthy that maybe we do have some control over as long as we know that they're not that great and we're going to you know, try to balance them out. What are some thoughts you have on that sort of intersection? In terms of trying to help introduce healthier coping skills at home or? Maybe that and also being able to, to hold without, parents have a lot of guilt, mm-hmm. you know, especially if their child is going through something. So how to, because your, your, your child is not going to come to you to talk about these things if they feel that immediately you're going to feel that you've done something wrong or, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, where did I go wrong? Mm-hmm. Right? I should have seen that. Or how come, how come he's smoking that much you know, mm-hmm. marijuana or whatever? Uh, like what, how, as a parent, how to navigate that uncomfortable space of knowing that maybe your child is going through a lot. Maybe you can't answer all those questions. You can't fix it all. But helping them to cope and balance out the unhealthy with the healthy and being there for them. What are some maybe words around that? I think, again, it goes to validating the feelings. Mm. And and almost you can't really address, I think, in, in my experience, you can't address the behavior, the unhealthy behavior, until you have fully given your time and your attention, your curiosity to the feeling that that's making them act this way. It's sort of like a kid who's acting up in school and getting into all sorts of trouble. And, you know, you can either punish the kid, you know, and, and often that's what happens in the school environment and at home. Or you can say, what's going on here? You know, what, what's making you act this way? And, and once you can really give them that space to explain, I had a, 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 teenage boy in my office the other day who's who I asked him that question he was getting in a lot of trouble and he said well I don't think they're teaching to my ability I don't think that the school's really teaching me in the way that I can and so I'm just you know doing my own thing and then we we can get you tested and we can um, find out what your learning styles are and maybe you're not doing so well and that's why you're getting in trouble because you're not in the right educational environment and I think the same is true for substance use or whatever. You don't want to go to the the solution before you've really gotten curious about what the problem is, you know, and it can mm-hmm. be scary and hard for parents and they should always be seeking guidance and support either from Youth Connect, which I, I believe also provides some support or guidance for parents um, or 
you know, uh, there are many other um, resources out here that can provide help for parents to kind of have those conversations. But just getting mad, you know, Mm -hmm. or judging or or taking on a lot of guilt about it is really not going to be the most helpful way to to help your kid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I know that you had there's a lot of other work that you do and other trends that you see. Are there other aspects that you want to share also that you've been seeing and have some tips or ideas to on the way in? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, one question I get often from parents is how can I tell the difference between just your run of the mill teen angst Mm -hmm. and a serious or more serious mental health problem? Um, And I think that's a, you know, that's the million dollar question often because it's hard there's so much overlap, um, but looking for for changes in your child's behavior, um, if they become disinterested in eating or participating in things they used to love doing, they're having trouble sleeping, either sleeping way too much or not enough, withdrawing from other aspects of life. These can sometimes be, you know, teen angst, and they can sometimes be more serious. And And one of the ways you can tell is if you focus on the persistence of that behavior, the inter- and interference with engaging in their daily life, Are the, is it keeping them home from school? Is it keeping them from, you know, hanging out with their friends or going to dinner with the family? And the sheer suffering, you know, you can sort of tell. Either you as the parent are suffering because you can't bear to see your child like this, or or just watching them really struggling. And and if you ever have a question, if it's a sort of reached a clinical level, a great person to reach out to is your pediatrician. You know, you don't have to, there's long wait lists all over the East End and the country, unfortunately, for, mm-hmm. for mental health professionals. But, you know, the pediatricians are available and they know a lot of this stuff. Um, and at least they can tell you, you know, at what level they feel like things, you know, require an intervention. I think also an interesting change from childhood to adolescence in terms of anxiety and stress is that little kids worry about external things like the dark monsters under the bed. What if something bad happens to mom or dad? Um, But once you start working with an adolescent or, or raising an adolescent, they're much more concerned about what's happening to them. And they're worried about themselves. They're anxious about performance, about school, about, you know, their sports abilities, how they're perceived by others, of course, is a huge one. And their bodies, you know, kids who go through puberty way before their peers or way after their peers really struggle. And I see a lot of that um, in my office as well. Right about now, we with the helpline, we are there's a spike in a lot of the texts that we're getting, even some phone calls. We mostly receive texts. I think that is kind of an easier way uh, for many folks, especially adolescents. But there is definitely a spike in sadness and anxiety around end of the year stuff, moving up, graduation. It, there just is. Mm-hmm. Are you feeling that as well right now? Yeah, and actually, I think that that is sort of a, a a smaller version, or hopefully a briefer version of what we saw after the COVID, after COVID, when kids weren't going to school at all. School provides such an important social emotional connection for especially well for all kids really of mm-hmm. all ages. But you know the degree to which young people feel that adults and peers at school care about them and are invested in them and in their success is a key contributor to mental health. And as the end of the year approaches, 
that coach or that counselor or that awesome teacher, mm-hmm. you know, is going to be totally unreachable for the mm-hmm. whole summer. And for a teen, two months is an eternity. So I think, yes, I think that um, really trying to help your teen connect with somebody else outside of the family, if possible, either at a camp or, you know, whatever your plans are, just to just to keep that connection with someone and a caring adult, ideally, outside the home is so important, especially during the summer. I think that with the use of texting, technology, social media, that can certainly be really ugly and not something that fulfills you in a positive way mm-hmm. and, and, and can certainly do the same for an adolescent. We've also seen that um, for many teens, because they don't have their own transportation, because we, we have a difficulty with public transportation out here, um, that, uh, that use of social media and texting and all that is, is kind of important, maybe not in the way mm-hmm. that I would have used in my, in, for my generation. Um, a phone call was something that was fun and good, but it, this sometimes with um, our texting and, and Snapchat and Instagram and all that is this way of staying connected. It can be positive. It can also be negative. Any thoughts or words of advice you have to parents who might feel as though you want to take that away or shut that all down? Mm-hmm. We're seeing that there could be a danger to that because yeah. people, adolescents really do need that, that connection point. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think a very common question that I get in my practice. And I think that, you know, you might think the problem is the phone. We're taking away the phone. Mm. You know, it seems to make sense, but it it is really the lifeline for our kids like it or, you know, hate it. <laughs> That's how they're connecting more than meeting up at the mall, you know, which happened decades mm. ago. There's a recent health advisory on teens and social media use from the American Psychological Association, which noted the increased risk of anxiety and depression among adolescents who are exposed to discrimination and bullying online. Um, Other research has shown that adolescents 12 to 15 who spent more than three hours a day on social media face a heightened risk of experiencing poor mental health outcomes compared Mm -hmm. to those who spent less than that time. That said, social media can be helpful, like you said, to young people serving as a source of connection, information and support. And that can be true, especially for youth who are often marginalized um, or who might otherwise be isolated. So LGBTQ communities, I mean, you know, social media is incredibly important, is a lifeline to many of the youth that I work with in that community. Um, Because we live in a small place and there's only so many people. Um, And just because someone else might, you know, have the same gender identity it doesn't mean you're going to share a lot more in common and that's important. And they can find those people, um, those connections in the broader social media. Um, also people with disabilities, you know, they can connect with people in a way that they never were able to, um, through social media. 80% of teens, um, report that social media helps them feel more connected to what's going on in their friends' lives while 67% said that social media made them feel like they have people who can support them through tough times. Mm. So, you know, it's a balance. We have to maximize the helpful parts and and minimize the, the harmful ones. And I think that requires parents to kind of have some sort of idea of what your child's relationship is with social media. That's really wonderful information. And I think a lot to to digest and think about. And, and I think as a parent, because I'm a parent of a 26-year-old now, and certainly 
remember and still, you know, there's a lot that I'm get, I'm learning about being a parent of a 26-year-old. I've never done that before. <laughs> but uh, basically being open to uh, to kind of discovering what is going on in her life and not have these kind of snap judgments about um, whether it's social media, her friend group, or what is expected, what she wants out of her time, but to really learn and, and kind of be open to that. I think that that's maybe, maybe as a parent, uh, if you can find a way to do that and have support, whether that's from your other parents that you're with or your partner, um, to kind of be okay in that uncomfortable space uh, maybe of learning what's happening with you, not only your child but around your child uh, because those influences are meaningful. Uh, and you don't just get to wipe them away and say, go take a run. It'll all right. go away. Right. <laughs> that's what I did when I was a kid. Right. Um, that's like the last thing I should be saying. <laughs> um, but I think for for as a parent, I kind of feel like that's a space that – is worth exploring um, and being being okay to be uncomfortable because your child is probably going through a lot. And for you as a parent to be willing to be, you know, uncomfortable in a way that you're learning mm-hmm. can be a positive way to approach that and not just feel that you're sort of not having all the answers right. or, or feel, feeling guilty for that. Any kind of last words on, yeah, on that topic? You know, we don't need to have all the answers. And my, my one of my favorite quotes by Maya Angelou is, People will forget what you said, they will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And I think that's particularly true of kids this age. If we are curious and empathetic and we're just listening, we're doing our job. You know, we're doing really what our child needs us to do. And we don't need all the answers. We just need to be that ear and that dependable, solid source ushering them into adulthood. Thank you, Bryony. Thank you. We want to share with you that if you or someone you know needs help, you can call the New York Helpline at 988, or you can call 877-8-HOPE-NY, or you can text 467-369, or visit the New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports website at oasas.ny. Gov. For youth ages 12 to 24, Ola's helpline can be texted in Spanish or English seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. for substance abuse and mental health support at 631-810-9010. I'm your host, Minerva Perez, Executive Director of Ola of Eastern Long Island, in partnership with WLIW-FM and the WNET Group. Thank you for listening.